Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. A little later in the pod, we'll be asking what Diego Costa has left in the tank that he can offer Wolves. But first, Brighton's 5-2 win against Leicester at the weekend was a tale of two clubs experiencing perhaps their best of times and their worst of times in the Premier League. Let's delve into both of them, shall we? I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. a way to finish the match deep in added time it's a five-star show from Graham Potter's side and it's another disastrous day for Leicester City in this worrying start to the Premier League season Brighton Hove Albion five Leicester City two Right then, let's get into it. Uh, I'm joined from The Athletic by our Leicester writer, Rob Tanner, and our Brighton writer, Andy Naylor. This is a bit awkward, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They were both there uh, for the game on Sunday. I'll come to you in a second, uh, Rob. But um, Andy, they are such good fun to watch, aren't they? They're a joy, aren't they, Mark? I think what was really impressive about them against Leicester was the response. They'd lost for the first time midweek uh, at Fulham, concede inside a minute. They come back from that, get themselves 2-1 two, two, up fairly quickly, concede again a really poor goal by their standards because defensively they're usually so good. Going at half-time, Alexis McAllister scores an absolute thunderbolt, which, as we know, then gets ruled out by dear old Barr. So these setbacks, and yet each time they respond, end up winning 5-2. Really, really impressive. It's interesting you mentioned how they responded because I, th- I think several people would have probably thought after the defeat at Fulham, oh, I wonder, I wonder if this is a sign of what it's like when there's an expectation on them. And, and uh, you know, for the start of the season... They've just been going on nicely and then they've had a good start and then they go to Fulham and everybody will have been expecting them to get points at Fulham. When the pressure is on, I suppose people will wonder how they will react. You're absolutely right, Mark, because I actually tweeted on the morning of the game that if things go wrong, you know, that they'll and Manchester United win, they could still be in the in the top four. And there was a reason for that. Graham Potter actually spoke about it in his press conference ahead of the game that, you know, the reactions are very short term and are governed to a large extent by the result of one game. When you always do this, Rob, you manage, you manage to um, uh, annoy both fan bases by doing this. But it, it's hard not to compare the two clubs, isn't it, really? Because Brighton at the moment remind me very much of what Leicester were. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and the contrast is stark. I mean, Andy just talked about 
that you know their mental fortitude to come back from little setbacks. Well, every time Leicester have a setback, they can't recover. They're they're so fragile mentally, um, especially um, when it starts to turn. It turns quickly for them. And you just can't see any uh, any way back for them. But absolutely, I mean, the contrast between the two clubs at the moment, I mean, Leicester were the club striving to um, unsettle the elite of English football. And they did it effectively for a number of years. They're paying the price for that a little bit uh, now. And obviously, um, we know the pandemic has had a huge impact on them uh, as well. And uh, But just the negativity. I mean, Potter seems so positive. Everything seems so positive about Brighton. Brendan seems negative in, in things he's been saying in the press conference. I know he's trying to turn that round now and I think, I think he really needs to. Um, but that seeps into the fan base, that seeps into his players and and then that it just exacerbates the whole problem and uh, there's a real worry around Leicester at the moment. Uh, one of our um, uh, podcasts last week was a special on Bournemouth and, and Scott Parker and, and obviously the discussion about Scott Parker in many ways being sacked for his, for his post-match interviews as, as much as... Bournemouth's performance on the field. Football hierarchies, well, hierarchies in any business don't tend to welcome their employees publicly criticising them. Within the club, is there a frustration at some of Roger's comments? I think it's been noted, but also I think there's a, an acceptance that you know he, he did need uh, backing in this transfer window. They just weren't in a position to do it. The plan was to get several of the players that were surplus out that would create finances and, and space in the squad because they can't carry players that can't contribute and sit in the stands and being paid millions of pounds a year. But they weren't able to do that. So there is an acceptance that he's in a difficult situation that is not of his own making, but it's the situation he finds himself in now. Uh, and it's he's got to make the most of it. He's got to make the best of it. And what he's got to start to do is look like he wants to do it. <laughs> because sometimes you look at him and you think, you don't really want to be here anymore. And it, it's just it's just a strange situation at the moment. Troy Deeney said to me last night, it, it looked like there's a blame culture yeah. with it within, you know, goals are going in and there's, there's, there's arguments and there's arms being thrown in the air and there's people maybe not pressing as much for, for in certain phases of play. Their body language, you mentioned it, but their body language at times looks absolutely terrible. Yeah, their heads just drop straight away. And, and that accountability, that accountability has to come from the, the top. And sometimes, again, I go back to the message. Sometimes when Brendan's talking and, he, and he's blaming the transfer window and lack of recruits and stuff like that, it's almost deflecting from himself. It's self-preservation. And the, again, the players will pick up on that. And, and, and on the pitch, you, you look at them and they are a close bunch, though. Generally, they are a close bunch. But when things start to go against them, there is that little bit of point, finger pointing and, and, and arguments breaking out. I mean, we saw it several times yesterday. Brendan actually liked that, he said afterwards. He said, because it shows that they're, they are, they're, they're holding each other accountable. But sometimes you've got to look yourself in the mirror and go, well, am I doing what I should be doing on this pitch at the moment? So, yeah, interesting way of looking at that from, from Rogers, isn't it, before we come back to Brighton? Because it actually looks like, well, as Troy, it looks like you're blaming someone else rather than holding them to account. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the back pass near Diddy to uh, Danny Ward, he took a terrible touch uh, and nearly let Welbeck in. And then, you know, they're both pointing at each other. Well, you shouldn't give the keeper the, the ball under pressure. And, and uh, you, your oh. touch has got to be better than that. You know, yeah. so you're both accountable there. Stop yeah. pointing fingers and point your finger at yourself. Although they were both on the same page. We may have to bleep this out when they, with perfect timing, told each other to f*** off. 
at exactly the same time, which <laughs> yeah. I thought was which, which common thought, language, which was which I thought was very funny. Andy, when you see Rogers talking about the transfer policy at Leicester uh, and not being able to bring people in, Bright, Brighton fans would be you know put their hands up and go, well, ha- well, hang on a minute, look look what's happened to us in this transfer window. Look look who's left us yeah. this transfer window. Forget who may come in. But we've lost some mainstays of our squad. Absolutely. Three really big players, you know, Ibasuma, Mark Cucurella, and then towards the end of the window, Neil Mope. Well, I, th- I think the interesting thing with Brighton and their whole kind of um, strategy with recruitment is you can't look at one window in isolation with them because they, they're, they're so sort of big on forward planning and looking ahead. Take, for example, Basuma. Now, I'm not suggesting that Moises could. Cachado that they identified that in 18 months' time he would go to Spurs. But they kind of knew that if he continued in the form that he was in, there would reach a point where probably a big club would, would come in for him. So there they are, January 21 window, they signed Cachado for £4 million uh, from Independi Delville in his homeland. Man United were linked with him at that time. And it was a gradual process with him. He started off, he was in the squad. But just getting a feel for the Premier League environment, didn't play. The start of the following season, he goes out on loan to Beershot in Belgium. They then recall him in January and he gets into the side back end of last season and has been an integral part of that midfield ever since. Cucurella was a little bit different because it happened very quickly for him to perform the way he did in one season. But nevertheless, their recruitment, they've always got possibilities. So they bring in Purvis as Dupinan from Villarreal, and they've got Le- Levi Colwell in on loan from Chelsea because the difficult bit with Cucurella was that he could play three positions, left-back, left-wing-back, left-sided central defender in a three. So they effectively had to sign two players to replace him. And then with Mope, what people forget, they'd signed Dennis Undav in the January window from Union St. Gilwell, loaned him back to them. So he's effectively a new signing in Premier League terms. So for all this forward planning, are they susceptible to an injury or two? I mean, I, I look. I mean, every side is yeah. obviously. I appreciate that, Andy. But I look at them and I think, wow, that that team yesterday, so balanced, everything just just clicks. But then, and I know you've mentioned some of the players they brought in who are waiting to come in. But then if a couple go down, is their balance going to go slightly awry? I don't think that's an issue in most areas because if, for example, you look at the midfield, Adam Lallana's currently injured at the moment. So you've got him to come into that picture. They signed Billy Gilmore right at the end of the window. Yeah. So he comes into that midfield mix. Defensively, they're, they're pretty well off. They kept hold of Jan-Paul Van Heck, who was proud of the season at Blackburn on loan last season, a young Dutch prospect. He's kind of back up for, for central defence. They've got Colwell as well. The one probably question mark is that they haven't got a like-for-like replacement who can do what Danny Welbeck does, i.e. Yeah. lead the line by himself, that spearhead through the middle, using his power, running the channels. So perhaps that played a part in Graham. He actually left Danny out of the starting lineup. Uh, at Fulham because they had three games in quick succession. That would be the one area. And they were trying to bring in a forward in in the window. But Brighton are very firm on their strategy. If it, if it doesn't work for them, 
in terms of the figures, in terms of the deal. They won't do it. They'll wait. They'll be patient and they'll wait till the next window. Um, I had a Brighton fan text me last night saying the big criticism of Brighton has always been that they don't score enough goals. It'd be interesting to look at why they are suddenly doing it this season, particularly when they've lost the players that they've lost. What, what would you put it down to? Listen, Graham is a very innovative coach. If you look what he's done in terms of... So, so Basuma goes, and they are now playing Moises Cachado and Alexis McAllister in a double pivot. Now, Alexis McAllister came to the club as a number 10. He's now operating as a number six. But Potter recognised he has the qualities to do that. And he's, he, he's, he's been sensational in, in that role. You look at Leandro Trossard. I mean, he was essentially, he came to the club from Gink really as a winger. The perception was that he was best suited to coming inside a sort of central forward, if you like, a nine, a false nine maybe. Suddenly, after a couple of times for Belgium under Roberto Martinez, Potter puts him in at left wing back at Arsenal last season. And that's where he played yesterday uh, to accommodate um, Welbeck's return with Estupanan dropping to the bench. So again, that kind of innovative thinking to cover possible flaws. And, and you've got people like Pascal Gross. Potter seems to have this ability of improving players. He uses them in positions they're not perhaps been accustomed to, and he improves them. Pascal Gross is in the form of his life. And there are a couple of things, again, when we're comparing Rob, that that will really strike pain into Leicester fans, which is, one, the sort of turning players into something that they were originally not, i.e. playing them in a different position, because that isn't really working for, for Leicester at the moment and also the balance that that Brighton have and that we've discussed this for maybe 18 months haven't we really there there are times when it still strikes me that Brendan Rodgers is looking for a balance within those players to fit them all into an 11 that works for them absolutely I mean I mean that was the one thing I took away from watching Brighton was um, Trossard and March were just unplayable at times for, for, for Leicester they didn't know how to deal with them it was that balance they could tack down both flanks. I mean, if you look at Leicester, they've only got one out-and-out -out winger now, Harvey Barnes. So, you know, it's James Madison having to play on the right, although Brendan doesn't want to play him there. He wants to play him in the middle, and he's done. He's brought Tielemans out to keep Madison and Keane and Dewsbury Hall in the middle. And now, I mean, the chopping and changing in system is an issue. It's not just game to game. It's within games as well. Mm. They start with a four or a five, then they switch to a four, and... And, and yesterday, although Brighton by work was, should have been uh, comfortably ahead at half-time, they were in the game still. But he changed to a back five to try and counter uh, Trossard and March. And he played young Luke Thomas as the third central defender on the left. Not Castagna. He had brought Castagna. I mean, Castagna leaving Castagna out for the last couple of games has, has baffled me as well. He's been one of his most consistent, reliable and experienced performers. And so he's not been in and, and young Luke's been in. And you could tell that, that the young lads, the confidence is seeping out of them a little bit as well as this, this run continues. But it, it, there just doesn't seem to be any clarity. Now, Brendan's always been big about clarity. He always used to say, you know, you know, doubt is a, is a death knell for, for players and things like that. But um, they do look like they're not quite certain what the game plan is. And, I know he, he perhaps he's bombarding them with too much at the moment. Perhaps he needs to simplify it. 
but there is a lack of balance and there, there is a lack of clarity. Tell us about McAllister, Andy, and, and his journey, without making him sound like an X Factor contestant, to where he is now. <laughs> well, it's really interesting with him because when they signed him uh, from Argentina's juniors, like I say, he was essentially a number 10. He was loaned straight back to them. He was then loaned back to, he was loaned to Boca uh, Juniors in Argentina. And actually, he was really unfortunate because when he finally came to Brighton, that coincided with COVID and the beginning of the lockdown. So he so he didn't really get a chance to play. But as so often happens with Brighton, and obviously these players who come from different countries, different cultures, there it's a case-by-case, case, you know, how quickly they settle in, how quickly they adapt. So they were patient with him. He's been in that kind of midfield area, as I say, in different positions. But now it looks like that position he's really flourishing in. He's got the qualities. Uh, he's got the passing range, very, very good technically. He can tackle. He doesn't mind putting his putting his foot in. And as we saw yesterday, with the shot that was ruled out and the free kick right at the end, which was a perfect finale, really, having had that goal disallowed. So he's, I mean, he's going to be, uh, I'm pretty sure, in the Argentina squad at the World Cup, as are eight or nine of Brighton players. We tend to get a bit dismissive about, oh, Ecuador. Well, they've got Cachado, they've got Estupinan, yeah. they've got Jeremy Sarmiento, who's another young, really young prospect, came in last season as essentially an under-23. Potter liked him straight away, got him in the first team. He was very unfortunate, did a fairly bad hamstring injury on his full league debut at West Ham, and we didn't really see much of him since. He's picked up another little injury. Is that their market that they that they exploit more or target more than any other the South American market? And where where did did Ashworth bring that in? Their market really is is everywhere. Well, if you look at where they've recruited players from, it, it's not a case of just South yeah. America. But they, but that's an area where they they become quite experienced and and can see that 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 perhaps that's that's a part they can exploit. Obviously, because these players. You look at uh, Cajedo uh, in South American qualifying, they're playing against Brazil, they're playing against Argentina, they're playing against Uruguay. So a re really good level. But they're essentially recruiting from everywhere. Mm. Uh, Europe, Japan, Keoru Matoma came in last season. They again uh, loaned him to Union St. Gilwa. Uh, no coincidence there because Tony Bloom, the Brighton, yeah. <laughs> Brighton owner chairman, is co-owner of Union. So, so, so there's that link there. And Matoma felt very sorry for him yesterday, actually, because he was about to come on and he's been a real impact substitute on the left. And he was actually going to come on for Trossard, who had a little bit of a knee problem. They, re they regained the lead. Uh, Trossard played a big role. And poor Kaoru didn't get a chance at all in the end, but I'm sure he will during the season. Is Rogers on thin ice? Yeah, well, the sword of Damocles is certainly dangling above his head at the moment. I mean, everybody I spoke to in the aftermath of the game yesterday was saying, no, I don't think you need to, to, to be on red alert right now. But it's clear it can't carry on like this. Um, he's got plenty of stock in the bank still from the success he's had over the last three years. And he's got a great relationship with Kuntop. But, you know, we've seen in the past... The last time they lost five on the bounce in the Premier League was just before Claudio Ranieri was sacked. And who would have thought they would have ever got rid of the man that brought them the Premier League title? So they can be ruthless when they think it's in the best interest. And relegation was a real possibility at that time. 
the way that I know it's early in the season, six games in, but it's not looking great in terms of progressing further forward. I, you know, he's tried so many different things. You wonder what the magic uh, formula is for him at the moment. Do you know where they'd look? Yeah, Graham Potter. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was going <laughs> yeah. to say. And don't say Brighton. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Keep your hands yeah, up. But it, they've, they've admired him for a long time and it's yeah. all, they've always had a succession plan. Uh, but the big question you'd have to ask now is, is that realistic now? I mean, everything that Andy's just said there, Leicester used to do that, finding talent in uncharted markets that other clubs want the ready-made, off-the-shelf, ready-to-go players, where as Leicester used to bring in the younger players and develop them and and, and grow them. They haven't been doing that for, for a number of windows now. So, yeah, would he... Would, would he Come to Leicester from Brighton. I don't think so at the moment. Well, and the, and the final thing to to add to that, Andy, I suppose is a a Woody. I can't imagine wanting to leave Brighton at the moment the way they're run and everything. The second thing is, as you will recall, what was he three months, four months into his Brighton career, and they'd had an iffy start, and they gave him a new six year deal. That looks like a sensational bit of business, doesn't it? Again forward mm. planning, look, look, looking ahead, which they're very good at. Uh, in answer, would he go to Leicester? No, I don't think so. Because I think we've reached a stage now where Graham Potter, what would be a step up for him? And I think you're looking at one of those top six jobs now. Um, because clubs that perhaps before you might have imagined him going to Leicester, Villa, I just don't see it. Brighton are, Brighton are, prog- are progressing past those. The one Fear, well, not a fear, but the one thing in the background I point out, and I've thought this for a long time, I think one day he's going to be in charge of England. I don't know how soon that happens. It could happen sooner than people think if the World Cup went badly. But I can certainly see in the future, I mean, if, if you if you imagined a situation where Gareth Southgate is no longer in charge of England, whose name would be right in the frame for that? And the other thing with him, uh, you wouldn't rule you wouldn't rule out a big European club, would you? Given given uh, you know given the man's intelligence and his the way he's built his career and his willingness to to travel, you you wouldn't yeah. rule out a, a European club coming a big European club and him thinking, oh yeah, you know that's a challenge. Absolutely, Mark. Because funny enough, a piece I wrote a while ago about Graham that was the other thing when you were looking at the top six here, you couldn't really see an opening. But as you say, he, basically that was the start of his journey going off going off to Osterson. The only thing I would say is his family are very settled here now, uh, so I'm not sure it would be as attractive to him to uproot again as it was at the beginning of his journey. Although he had a very young family then, but yeah, yeah, I think I think you you wouldn't shut off any avenues. Lovely to talk to you both. Although Andy, you've smiled all the way through it, and Rob, you you've looked like <laughs> I've been pulling your fingernails out bit by bit during this chat. Well, we've had a good ride up to now, so this is the first real sticky patch. So you got to take it. You got to weather the storm. <laughs> oh God, tell me about it. Right, see you both soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Hello there. 
I'm James Richardson, and I just want to give you a quick heads up on the Totally Football Show's European edition. We're with you every Tuesday lunchtime, as you may know, but it's a particularly big edition this week as James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurence, and Alvaro Romeo look ahead to match day one of the Champions League group stage, which features Real Madrid heading to paradise, Liverpool going down to Naples, where they always lose, and Juventus going to Paris Saint-Germain for the first time in Champions League history. Crikey, we'll also be rounding up all the continental news from the weekend too, so don't miss it. Search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Vamos chegando a 34 minutos, primeiro tempo, Natan Silva escorregou. Aí o Arana já dominou, chegando na linha de fundo, cruzou para trás, Diego Costa! Gol! De centroavante, de goleador! Diego Costa! So let's end the pod then with this story that Diego Costa could be returning to the Premier League with Wolves. I'm joined by our Spanish football writer Dermot Corrigan and our Wolves writer Steve Maidley. You're already smiling, Dermot, at, at slightly how bizarre this appears. Yeah, um, I was very surprised when when I heard about it over the weekend uh, and David David Arnstein, whose information is always is always good, um, was reporting on it. Uh, Costa has been since he left Atletico. He's been linked with various Spanish clubs, um, on and off. 
even Rayo Vallecano during the summer, but it, nothing ever came of it. He, he's, he hasn't got as far as doing a medical. How he would get on in that medical, I guess, is, is a big question. But that it was Wolves with their connections to, to Jorge Mendes as well, I guess, wasn't a huge surprise. And Steve, that medical could be on or will be on Tuesday. We're recording this Monday morning. He's due to arrive on, on Tuesday at Compton Park. Wolves training ground, and you and you imagine that that the medical will be will be one of the first things that Wolves want to get out of the way, given the length of time he's gone without playing the game. Uh, but yeah, everything's just moved really quickly from signing Sasa Kalajic last Wednesday, I, I believe, to, to, to suddenly Jago Costa due to arrive six days later. It's just a bizarre turn of events, really, uh, and a very unlucky turn of events when you take <laughs> us through the the timeline to get to this point. Absolutely, I mean we're we're smiling at the. Uh, the bizarre turn of events with with Diego Costa, but it's obviously a horrible moment for for, for Sasha Kalajic, who Wolves have kind of spent the summer chasing a striker. They, they've only really had Raúl Jiménez for the whole of pre-season. Uh, they sent Fabio Silva out to Anderlecht on loan. They thought they solved that problem last last Wednesday when they finally did did the deal for Kalajic, and kind of forty minutes into his into his debut, he went down holding his knee. Finished the first half, but then didn't re-emerge for the second half. And then less than 24 hours later, we, we find that he's done some kind of damage to his, his ACL, which we, we don't quite know the full extent of yet. But clearly, any kind of ACL injury, you'd, you're talking months rather than weeks. I, I suppose there are a lack of options out there for them, given given the window has shut and, and so on and so forth. I mean, and, and there are very few options within their squad as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Raúl Jiménez is um, the only the only kind of fit, recognised number nine, and even he um, didn't figure in the game against Southampton on, on uh, Saturday because he pulled out in the warm up with with some pain in his in, in a groin injury that he's been he's been nursing for for a while. So they really are to use the, to use the old cliche down to the be- down to the bare bones. He's been a free agent since January 2022 as Diego Costa when he terminated his contract at Brazilian club Atletico Mineiro. So here is the Athletics Jack Lang with a reflection on that five-month spell. So Diego Costa turned out to be back in Brazil for a good time, not a long time. Uh, but it was quite a, quite a little mini roller coaster I suppose signed in uh, August 2021 after eight months without a club I uh, went to Atletico Mineiro kind of a uh, very historic but uh, a team without massive recent success uh, played a, a reasonable part in turning that round so Atletico actually won their first Brazilian title in 50 years while he was there um, you know, not a major contribution because he only came in halfway through the season, but scored uh, a goal on his debut, kind of brought a little bit more uh, variety to their attack, I suppose. Their, their main uh, star that season was Hulky, so you can imagine the... Uh, I bet those two were an absolute joy for defenders to face up against when they played together. Um, and then, yeah, by the end of, this, end of the year, it just kind of slowly fizzled out, really. So he, he ended up with five goals in 19 games. Uh, the fans loved him. They were shouting for him to stay in the cup final, which Atletico also won. He didn't play in that because he was injured. But I think personal reasons made it hard for him. He said uh, he was clear with the club all along that a lot would depend on uh, how his family settled back in Brazil. Obviously, had been in Europe for a long time. Uh, and he said his two daughters were kind of key to his thoughts, really. And I don't think... The family uh, adapted to life back in Brazil as well. 
as he might have hoped. So kind of towards the end of that year, after only five months, made it made it clear that he wouldn't be, um, you know, going to the end of his contract. And it was quite amicable in the end. Um, so, yeah, I think he, he showed, you know, from a Wolves perspective, he can still... Uh, be quite sparky there was no major controversy no you know none of the Diego Costa pantomime stuff just looked fairly kind of muscular still looked pretty lean but obviously uh, you know the, the years are catching up on him he didn't complete 90 minutes I don't think Fred Lechko is kind of a kind of an impact player really someone who kind of came into the side uh, for the odd start or off the bench and if that's what he's going to be doing in Wolves I think you know, we may still see two or three Diego Costa moments in the Premier League. Let's see how it goes. Uh, and Dermot, of course, before that stint in Brazil, he had that second spell at Atletico Madrid. What was his second spell like? Uh, it started off great. Um, he came back. Well, he had to wait about six months because of that he got a transfer ban. But once he got back into the team, he was the old Diego Costa that, you know, had a uh, struck fear into La Liga defences when Atletico won La Liga in, in 2014. He was back. He linked up really well with Griezmann. He had a good connection with the Atletico fans. Um, the Atletico went on to win the Europa League that, that year. Costa scored a winner against Arsenal in the semi-final and, and combined really well with Griezmann, who scored two in, in the final as he beat Marseille. Then that summer, Atletico beat Real Madrid in the UEFA Super Cup, which was a much bigger deal for Atletico than it was for Real Madrid. But Costa, he, he monstered Sergio Ramos in, in that game, scored a screamer after just 50 seconds. Atletico won 4-2 and Everything was flying. That that was the high point, though. From from there, things went wrong. Just persistent injuries and some disciplinary issues as well, which are are two things that come up a good bit with, with Costa, I guess. And the injuries, especially, you know, went wrong. He had a back problem. He had COVID. He had a strange kind of thrombosis, blood problem, which I I don't think was ever completely um, explained. And he just wasn't able to play at the level that that Atletico needed. And he was still on huge wages. So Atletico were trying to. You know, he had maybe one, 12 really good months with them. And then after that, Atletico were, were trying to get him out. There was talk of him moving to China very often. He even said himself that he was up for it, I think. And in the end, his contract was just rescinded. He, he got a payoff to leave and he had 18 months left because he just, you know, wasn't wasn't happy. You could see it in him. He did a couple of, of very interesting interviews where he's, I've always found him kind of an engaging character. I've never actually interviewed him, but whenever he speaks in, in the Spanish media, he's very honest and comes across as quite a down to earth and even, I'm going to say vulnerable, which might sound weird when you think about how, what he's like when he plays on the pitch, but he, he very open and give interviews. And he just was, it was clear he was fed up with, with how things has gone. His body was letting him down. He wasn't enjoying life. And he came to an agreement with Atletico to, to end it there. If this all goes to plan, Steve, and it, and he goes through his medical and passes it, given everything that Dermot said, and given that he's been a free agent since the, the turn of the year, roughly, it's going to take a while to get him up to speed, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've written the piece today uh, on The Athletic, and that's, that's kind of one of the points I've made, that the, the fairly unique structure of this season means that, effectively, there's, there's only 10 more rounds of games before... The January transfer window opens effectively at the start of November. So I guess Wolves, when they do the medical, will we'll have to look at the results and just weigh up what, how soon how soon they think he can he can become any kind of have any kind of impact on on their season. Because if he's going to take six seven games to get up to speed, then effectively you bring you bring in a player for three, for three games, aren't you? When you could just wait for the January window to, to open and bring in maybe someone else. We know we know that there are there are several targets alternatives to to collide that two Wolves were. We're looking at over the summer, 
yeah, I mean, the prospect of Diego Costa playing for Wolves, I think, has got, has got the fans excited. I think they would, all, even putting aside all of the um, the issues about, about fitness and how close would he, would he ever become to, to the, the Chelsea Diego Costa, I think Wolves fans have just become already seduced by the idea of having having the Chelsea Diego Costa playing for their team. The Wolves fans have been very positive about this, have they? I think so, yeah. It was, it was, quite, it was quite amusing, actually. Um, as, soon as, as soon as they read the news about Kalajic's injury, you could, you could, you can imagine them all googling free agent centre forwards, and all over Twitter that there were Diego Costa gifts appearing. Before, <laughs> even before, and then within an hour, our colleague David David Ornstein had broken the story that, that actually it wasn't just a, twi- a Twitter thing. It was actually he was he was he was actually on his way on his way to Wolves. It was just a yeah, and and then the excitement just just gathered pace. Um, I mean, how much logic there is to that? I'm not I'm not sure. It will. Obviously, it depends on what what version of Diego Costa turns up at Compton tomorrow. If it is the Diego Costa that still has a bit of to to use the the uh, the very modern phrase shithousery on the field, that, that's been used a lot on Twitter. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't avoid that no. word at the moment. Obviously, that's why fans are quite excited about it. I mean, for other there are other reasons as well, but that's part of the attraction of him. Do Wolves need that? A bit. I think so. I mean, whether it's the kind of shithousery that that you mentioned, the Diego Costa fairly unique brand of shithousery that, uh, that that he brings, I'm not sure. But but there is a, a perception, I think, that that Wolves are, are quite a nice team that that they maybe need a bit more devil in them. And if you can have a bit of devil in your number nine, banging centre halves around, around, then clearly, what fan doesn't want that really? I always find it's important to learn from podcasts. So, what's the Spanish phrase? For shithousery, to, before we finish, <laughs> uh, he has. Well, you could say "gara." Maybe it's like a South American phrase for claw or word for claw, right. which is used around a lot of Uruguayan players. Which I get Costa. Um, I think he's from a different part of Brazil, but he, he definitely had that type of, of of nastiness about him. Like he cut when he came back. Simeone loved him for that. And he used Simeone would when he was asked about him in press conferences would kind of smile and and take a while to to talk about how much he loved him and how he struck fear into defenders and also how the that type of energy that he had and aggression and physicality was contagious to his own players as well that other players in the Atletico team would would thrive on that or would start to do things that maybe they they wouldn't do otherwise whereas defenses would just be be terrified of him. That was more the case in his first spell at, at Atletico than, than his second spell. But even Spain, who, you know, Del Bosque and Spain had that that beautiful team with all the the the, the lovely passing and the keeping the ball for a hundred passes and everything. They wanted to get Costa into the team as well. They like even Del Bosque wanted to get him back, went out in the limb to ring him back for the, the 2014 World Cup, which didn't work out so well because Costa was was injured at the time. But he brought that, you know, Spain were looking for that little bit of edge into their team as well. And Costa was always popular, even with the uh, Barcelona players or the Real Madrid players who he would have like roughed up on the pitch or got into battles with Ramos and, and Pique and everybody. They, they liked him as a guy as well. He's not, um, he, he might be into to shithousing on the pitch, but he's he's a he's a good guy around the dressing room, I think, as well. So I don't know whether that, how that would fit at Wolves. A lot of time has passed maybe since then. But um, you'd wish him well, I think, because the way that things ended at Atletico wasn't wasn't great for him. So hopefully things will, things will work out. Dermot, Steve, thank you uh, very much. You can read plenty more from our guests on The Athletic uh, and plenty more besides. You can subscribe and pay a pound a month for the first six months by heading to theathletic.com slash football pod. I'm back tomorrow on this feed. Thanks for listening. What was it, Dermot? Gara? Gara. Gara. <laughs> Gara. The Athletic. <laughs> 